0: Hello and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber.
1: That's my name. Uh, so, this fact <laughs> is especially relevant for today's episode because we're talking <laughs> names. But before we do, we're going to take some names. Uh, so, there's some names we'd like to highlight, and those are the names Allison
0: and Monica. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for joining us on patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Hope you're enjoying all those bonus episodes. Mm -hmm. And we are currently working on some more of them. We put yeah, some more up there.
1: We've, yeah, we've got uh, more in the hopper, but something else that we've got in the hopper is um, we are switching from Patreon to Ghost. We shared this. Uh, so, Ghost is a, another sort of subscription platform that's um, open source and um, structured very differently from how Patreon works, kind of on the back end and internally. Um, but the end user experience should be. Um, Quite similar and mm-hmm. positive. Um, Very little should change for you, the the subscriber, the subscriber and potential subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, where we're at now is, um, I just need to um, work with the good folks at Ghost to um, get our current sub- to get our current subscribers um, given the the option to continue their subscription, um, and so we will be more details to come here, but we are lowering the cost of our tiers, and so what I'm working on right now is a way to do that fairly to our um, you know current longtime former um, Patreon subscribers um, in a way that they. Um, They can have sort of a discounted or um, uh, commensurately comped uh, subscription. So that's the thing that I'm working on um, right now, getting that nailed down. Um, So if you are a patron already, thank you. Thank you as Thank you. always, but, um, be on the lookout for, um, some correspondence, um, regarding sort of, um, the next homing pigeon's
0: going to show up, at- <laughs> just smack into your window. Um,
1: yeah, and then you can me. ghost us. Um, uh,
0: uh, yeah, so,
1: so that is something that's coming. I'm very excited about it. Um, yeah. but I'm excited about other things too. Yeah. Uh,
0: can I tell you something I'm excited about? What are you excited about, Anna? When this episode publishes, I will be in Portland at the SAA. Actually, not when it publishes, but about eight hours after. Uh, You don't know when people listen. No, but when it publishes. That's what I said. Anyway, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, Wednesday the 29th, and you are going to be in And you are in Portland. Yeah. Well, it's, you know... Uh this isn't the most heads up y kinda of heads up, but I'm gonna be there. I'm going to be on a panel on Thursday at one o'clock in the afternoon about pseudoscience and archaeology and the kinds of responsible content that we can create to um kinda of combat and and mediate and ameliorate the oh. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, SIT words, uh, (laughs) to, to kind of, uh, deal with the types of misinformation and schlocky (laughs) clickbaity stuff, uh, that's out there. Um, that is really a, a danger to real living people. Um, so. That's gonna be I think it's gonna be a really cool panel. Otherwise I will just kind of be bopping around the conference, which is new handing and exciting out for me. Our gorgeous new business cards. Yeah, handing out our gorgeous new business cards. I may also have some stickers with me, just pockets full of stickers. And so come say hi. And uh I I may be overwhelmed by <laughs> a, the number of people. Just I it's you gotta a big take conference. Your
1: crate. You gotta take your little crate and oh, put no, your blanket I <laughs> And you're just going to
0: go in there and hold your stuffy. That's yeah, what you I am. I'm, I am going to do that. Um, but as a consequence, since we are recording this the day before and I'm leaving our flight leaves at 6 a.m. tomorrow, mm, uh, this is going to be an extremely lightly edited episode. So, listeners, in advance, you know, I may not catch every sniffle. I have all of the allergies. Um oh, Yeah, it's everything's a bloom here in Tulsa and it's it's all in my sinuses. So, well, let's hope it stays there
1: for at least 40 minutes.
0: (laughs) I just uh, shot some medicine up my nose, so we should be good to go. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't do it right into the microphone, (laughs) so you're welcome. So that is, I think that's housekeeping out of the way, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Allison and Monica. Sorry. (laughs) for burying your names and all of that you guys are new to the show new, new to the to our patreon thank you so much we appreciate that let's get back to the name game amber yes that's me so um names um uh,
1: names is a topic that I've wanted to tackle for a while now, since it's one of those aspects of studying the past that are sort of a bit deceptive and how much you can learn from them.
0: So like ceramics. Where you're Does like, that mean you can learn more than you think or not as much as you think? Both? I don't, I don't want
1: to do this. Let's move on. Let's move on. I've had like years long conversations with people about this and I don't want another one. Um, so you can learn a lot more from them than you may think at first blush, just like with ceramics. Also like ceramics, um, there's a lot of extremely technical nuanced research done, done on it that one could say, um, not by me, but someone else could say is boring, um, so so it's the sort of thing that like you have to, there's so much data and there's so much sort of, um, there's so many little, little crumbs of data that you put together and uh, what you can tell from ana- analyzing them is something pretty incredible. Um, but the actual like process of like going through all that data um, can kind of excruciating. Um even the people <laughs> who love doing it. Like it's so that's so but sure. but it's in service of having a more robust picture of the
0: past. Uh-huh. Um so, As is most of what we do. Yeah.
1: Uh, so I won't be getting into the the linguistics of names today. Thanks. Um because I read uh, one article and I've included it in the show notes and it made me want to breathe into
0: a paper bag. Are you going to put like a little asterisk next to that one? Just be like, this was well, the paper th- bag one. I think it'll be okay. pretty Does it have one of those titles? Okay. Yeah. It's just right.
1: like, Oh no. <laughs> um, so um, not because we don't need to dredge up another episode of like Amber mm-hmm. doesn't understand like, like in my, in my cells. I don't understand <laughs> linguistics, That's um, but I respect it. Um, but however, we will be talking a lot about the names people give themselves, their children and people they've never met. Um, and what sorts of things we can learn about them from those choices. Um, so let's get things going with a definition of a name. Um, and I, I, this quote Does this was, mean
0: I need to do old person times voice?
1: If if you want, if you want to read it, that's
0: okay. Um, so this is something
1: that um, that I found via that article, which was it was fine. No no mm-hmm. shots at that article. Mm-mm. Just I didn't Mm-mm. understand it, and it was hard. Um, but this definition was expressed in 1753 mm. from a general and rational grammar.
0: Quote, there are two sorts of ideas, one which represents to us only one thing, as the idea which each person has of his father and mother, of his friend, of his horse, his dog, of himself, ampersand, etc. The other, which represents to us several similar things to which this idea equally agrees, as the idea I have of a man in general, of a horse in general, etc., Men have occasion for different names to express these two different sorts of ideas. They have given the appellation of proper names to those which agree to a single idea, as the name of Socrates, which agrees to a certain philosopher, the name of Paris, which agrees to a particular city. They have called general or appellative names those which signify common ideas, as the word man, which agrees to all men in general, and in like manner the words lion, dog horse, etc.
1: Yeah. So it really is, you know, this is one of those things that feels like, duh, but there is value in it's sort established
0: of having like a foundation. A sure.
1: foundation. Yeah. So we've got, um, and so this is something that um, sort of this idea that was put forward in this uh, general and rational grammar um, is something that um, has been echoed since- uh, the classical times of people to like sort of talking about, um, you know, we've got general or appellative names, and so those are nouns, <laughs> and, um, and then we've Person got proper nouns, which which specify which exact noun we're discussing, and all the ideas and associations and vibes that come along with said proper noun. So you may be seeing, duh, amber, duh, um, but. I think I do think it's important that we start with the absolute basics. So before we get to the feature presentation roundup of names (laughs) through the ages, um, let's hang out here in the lobby and chat about onomastics or the study of names. So this episode is going to feel a lot like being in a swimming pool that has that shelf that drops into the end that has the diving board in it. Like, you know how some pools kind of gradually decline in that some pools some just, just kind of like, really poof, there's just in there yeah, there's just a shelf yep. so we're gonna be sort of creeping with our toes cur- curled over the edge of that shelf um but stay ready to like paddle back if we kind of fall off and the water gets too deep um so that's, that's good metaphor that's what we're doing today Um, Mm -hmm. because after all to discuss names is to discuss every known object because part of knowing something is assigning it a name
0: yeah so you can refer to it yourself or to other people
1: yeah exactly like whether it's mentally Mm -hmm. uh, because you don't you know, we don't just scan the world around us like the Terminator, and sometimes it fixes on things. Like, you're, it's Still not just like not seen it. Like, I, just, <laughs> <laughs> I just like
0: <laughs> I know what you mean. You just haven't seen it. Great.
1: So, Nay, um, So, yeah. So, unlike the Terminator, um, we we sort of everything that we look at, we. Either explicitly or implicitly assign a name to, and sometimes that name is that or thing, uh, like you know that. Yeah, like it's sort of, it's a placeholder because it's, Mm -hmm. because it still comes with those associations. You know, that could be, oh, you know, you like flip it and the lights come on uh, because the word switched isn't coming to mind. And Mm -hmm. so that, that sort of thing. So names are absolutely the domain of anthropology, both the cultural aspects that inform a name's significance and the linguistic aspects that inform the construction of that name and sort of what makes it a name versus an appellative noun <laughs> like like what what makes it what specifies it, Um, but they are critical to, so names are also critical to many other fields of inquiry as well. So business or product names involve the psychology of how potential customers feel about a name um, or qualities that they ascribe to the product or what the product can do for them. Uh, So that comes into uh, psychology, marketing, um, and it also involves matters of copyright and intellectual property. So names are a huge part of, uh, copyright law, patent law, um, and, um, and other aspects of, uh, the legal system. Um, and, and then it's also, uh, names are used and sometimes very importantly, not used, um, in religious experience, like the, the names that you, uh, use for yourself, um, that you maybe take on, uh, the names that you invoke or don't, or sort of work around. Um, this is all part of, um, religious expression. Uh, And then another really important aspect is that what someone calls a certain geographic place can tell Mm. you a lot about their politics or -hmm. their culture um, and which aren't the same thing, just making that clear. Um, And (laughs) place names are closely tied to identity, agency, and sovereignty. So some quick examples um, and these are all examples that have have come up for me. Um, And so you've got um, one that um, so the city Jerusalem um is known by Jerusalem but by others uh it's known by its arabic name which is al-quds um and then also uh something coming from working for a us government program um there are very specific terms that you use to describe political states so uh the us state department refers to palestine as the palestinian territories mm-hmm. um there are other names that people use um From a variety of standpoints, you've got Chinese Taipei, which is the sort of um, accepted like sidestepping name uh, for Taiwan because Chinese Taipei evades the question of Taiwan sovereignty or because it's still claimed by China. And so um, I remember at a different program that I worked for, for the U.S. government, I would have multiple cards printed out, like table tents printed out with different names, depending hmm. on what the representatives that we were working with oh, um, wanted to to use, wow. so this is something that really, really matters to it people. It matters to people. Yeah, it can cause absolutely. like an international incident. <laughs> um, and so, another one that really matters to people, as I learned. <laughs> A million years ago when I, um, when I, uh, proposed a session at a conference that involved the phrase the Gulf, um, and I got a bunch of very angry emails, uh, because they, that was viewed as a political act to remove Persian from the Gulf. Um, and so the, using the the term Arabian Gulf versus Persian Gulf versus the Gulf, um, can't please everyone. It, it does, um, it will, it tells you something about um, not necessarily where someone's, like, sympathies lie or where their politics lie, but it could inform, like, what their focus is. Um, yeah, based on the choice they make. Based on, based on the choice that they make. So, w- like, that's something where what you do and don't call something. Um, you know, the Arabian Gulf is used by folks who are, who, they're position is looking out from like the Arab states there's more coastline that belongs to Arab states along the Persian Gulf but the Persian Gulf was a term that was applied by the Romans and so it's and then the Gulf is to be like well we know which one we're talking about because we're all looking at a map of Oman not Texas so we know which Gulf kind of thing um Easter Island versus Rapa Nui. This is where you start to think about agency and the name that someone else gave you versus your own name. Yeah. Um, and and that also comes up um, with Swaziland versus um, Eswatini. Uh, so Eswatini is the Swazi word for... Land of Swazi, yeah. um, and so um, this was changed in the name was officially changed in twenty eighteen um, huh. as part of recognition of fifty years of independence from colonial rule. So it's it was and so that's something where you can kind of get a sense of like how like up with things people are uh, sort of like with yeah, the I news.
0: It shouldn't be like a,
1: uh, mm -hmm. but, but just sort Mm -hmm. of like sort of an awareness of, Mm -hmm. um, and then also, um, the like Myanmar versus Burma. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Burma, it was the, was the colonial name. It's also, um, the language is Burmese, uh, people identify as Burmese, um, Mm -hmm. but I think it was in 1988, I don't know. Um the the military coup that took place. Yeah. Um okay. that military like, that installed government refers to itself and its country as Myanmar. So there's a question of what do we call it? Because do we legitimize you know you and I Anna, but like what does what does D- one does call one. it? What does a yeah. newspaper call it? What does a, a a government call it like an external government yes, it's because like, do we, fraught. do we acknowledge and legitimize the military coup or do we run the risk of um, making the, making it seem like it's still a colonial state, like a colonized state. And so like these names Matter, so mm-hmm. names are important, and and you can maybe think of other examples too that kind of speak to that power that's vested in assigning something a name. Um, so this concept is explored in Ursula K. Le Guin's
0: Earthsea Cycle. Um, so the, and lots of other places in fantasy. Like well, the, but I'm yeah. gonna.
1: I'm going to tell you about the Earth Sea cycle. I know. Keep going. I just, I'm just acknowledging that, like, it's not. Well, you can tell me if this is if this is something that you see elsewhere. Um, But in that world, every being is given their true name at puberty. Mm-hmm. Um, and to learn someone's true name is to have and be able to exert power over them. So mm-hmm. knowledge of true names comes into play in building trust between characters through the Earth-C cycle. Um, but other characters find liberation in living openly with their true names. So they they no one can... If you, if you sort of open that power to anyone, then no one can, is the idea that these dragons had. Um, so sure, <laughs> it's a fantasy book with titular wizards. Um, but as a device, it conjures up ideas we'll bump up against throughout this episode. Um, mm-hmm. But first, Anna... Let us talk about how old names are. So I shouldn't be too amazed by how old names are. things can be given that like your name is derived from a name that was written down um, the first time probably around five fifty BCE, but poten- it's older. But potentially <laughs> dates back to the Iron Age. Um, yeah. And mine is a Middle Persian word for sperm whale goop. Um, yep. So cool uh, so this got me thinking um what are some names that have been kicking around longer than any of us might have guessed
0: well <laughs> <laughs> now i have a couple of case studies for you that you wrote but unfortunately <laughs> we can never know how old some names are because we're limited to what we encounter in the written record as it's currently known because thoughts don't fossilize Honestly, thank goodness. Of course, this knowledge is going to, you know, we'll have more as we move forward. But for some naming and language traditions, we can't quantify how long a name has been in usage through Western-centered forms of knowledge. So as for written names, the first case study comes from Mitanni. Mitanni, or the land of the Mitanni, was a Bronze Age empire that spanned northern Syria and southeastern Anatolia. If the name sounds familiar, it might be because we previously were taught how to get that horse right by Kikuli. Get that swole horse. Beefy horse, whose title was Master Horse Trainer for the Land of Mitanni. Sweet gig. Um, and so Mitanni was a pretty major player in the region during its fluorescence.
1: It's fluorite. What, you don't want to say fluorite? That's what it's called. Even though Google was like, try heyday.
0: and I'm just like Shut up, Google. Let me use my classical education. <laughs> floruit.
1: I don't know. It's uh, so, but the, it... floruit is a word. So this yes. is this is I'm like not this it's is not a, word a word in
0: your word bank,
1: folks. Floruit is what you is is the the term used to describe the period that an empire is existed, yeah. a kingdom, a dynasty existed. That's the floruit. floruit. It's okay. It just doesn't trip off
0: the tongue. It doesn't. But
1: heyday. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but everything that's been said about it we have through other royal annals and accounts things like sacking the capital of Assyria uh no royal annals or archives have been excavated at any Mitanni sites and the presence of a specific type of ceramics called painted newsyware is not newsy like that <laughs> seize the day uh no n-u-z-i newsy uh but but our best glimpse into who the Mitanni were during their flash in the imperial pan, oh, you have a way with words, comes from studying names. Hurrian was the language used in the land of the Mitanni, which is related to Urartian, which is attributable to today's Armenia and neighboring states, and forms the extinct language family Hurro Urartian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hurrian words come through in other languages, often about horse stuff. They were horse guys. They were horse guys. They were major horse guys in the Kikuli text. There are also Indo-Iranian names, some of which may be familiar to you, dear listener. So Simone Gentile tackled the subject of Indo-Iranian names in Mitanni sources in the Journal of the International Council of Onomastic Sciences. So, onomastic. namey Sciences. Mm -hmm. Wild. (laughs) Uh, journal titles, man. <laughs> and while most of those don't look particularly familiar, a treaty between the Mitanni and Hittite kingdoms list four familiar deities as divine witnesses to the agreement: Mitra, Varuna, Indra, and Nasatyas. Nasatyas. The phrasing in that treaty mirrors the sequence in which they're invoked in a hymn from the Rigveda. Indra is still a name So uh, that's like 3500 years ago. Yeah, so that's like in the in still. the Bronze Age. So that's a long time ago. It's a long time. It's a good name. Yeah. So Indra is still a given name today, and another very common Indo-Aryan name into whose origins we have a clue is Priya. Priya it means beloved or dear, and possibly dates back to Proto-Indo-European. Remember that that chestnut yeah. spoken maybe four to six thousand years ago. So how do we know that if no one was writing anything that long ago? Well, we don't know that. How do we guess it? Yes. <laughs> how do we think about it? Yeah. Uh, because of another name that's still used today, but which comes... Oh, my God. Right? That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> because of another name that's still used today, but which comes from Old Norse, Freya. An epithet turned name for the goddess of love, among other things, and the name of a restaurant at which I had a very nice meal last week.
1: Well, but isn't Mm. that like isn't that so? That's amazing. So that's the sort of thing that like thinking about names is
0: you think about
1: shared roots, and so there is, and so (sighs) if we think about, and this was something that I wasn't able to do because I don't have the skills. um, But if we think about the the point at which it's thought that those two languages those like the, those two language families old Norse and
0: oh yeah, yeah okay, well, okay yeah like so the the, families, well, I yeah. mean the,
1: the most recent like the the nearest common ancestor of mm-hmm. uh the Indo-Aryan language subgroup so the the languages that are largely spoken in South Asia not all of them in South Asia but South Asia and then also um uh Romany mm-hmm. um those so the think about the last time that that language those, was shared. Those groups
0: were together, that, yeah,
1: and and so you can sort of think back to that point to say there probably was a name that had this con- this connotation of being loved, loving like sort of those like positive treasured, yeah, yeah. those those feelings, and that name was stayed with folks even and like stayed in in family stayed in in yeah, naming traditions as the
0: cultures really diverged as they as they diverged geographically and culturally yeah it's very um, much like the um the Pleiades story that we talked about where like the last
1: oh common um, so also the Pleiades mm-hmm. um not the Pleiades but the um belt of Orion um mm-hmm. was Freya's spindle Freya's Freya's um, weaving accoutrement. Some aspect mm-hmm. of her um, of of her weaving tools were there. Were yeah, yeah. So that, but yeah, isn't that cool? I love that. I couldn't. I think that I think that Priya, uh, a name like Priya, does show up somewhere in a Mitanni text, but um, quite frankly, I did not have. <laughs> It's okay. Time to look okay. at more. Because I, I looked at several and I was like, this is cool.
0: Yeah. Because I found one. Indra. That counts. That's, Nailed it. It's
1: <laughs> like, I did it.
0: <laughs> uh. Uh, our second case study comes from the Aegean in tablets written in a script known as Linear B. So Linear B is one of the newer old languages available to us, uh, deciphered for the first time about 70 years ago. Um, linear B was used to write Mycenaean Greek, the earliest form of Greek we have access to, which dates back to the 16th to 12th centuries BCE. It's old. It's very old. In the linear B texts, we meet a few people we might know. So th- first you see the
1: Mycenaean. Yeah, name. we've
0: got, so we've got Arakasadera, Alexandra, mm-hmm. Theodora, mm, Theodora, uh, and Akirawe is that close Uh, to to Achilles? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And now it says in brackets, Amber can share the April Fool's joke that made her angry. I don't know what this is because all I got was a text that was like, I saw a joke and now I'm mad.
1: No, I saw saw a joke that it took me like 20 minutes to like figure out what the joke was. And then when I figured out what I think the joke was, I Uh, just like walked away. I just like left my house. Um, So it was a um, at first, I thought it was like clickbaity, like nonsense. But then I realized when I looked at the date that it was an April Fool's joke, um, hmm. and so I maintain that this was just a lie. But okay. I think it's a joke. That's um, what a lot of April Fool's
0: jokes are—like hoaxes.
1: Yeah. So what it was, it was like? Oh, a new tablet has been found that you know opens new like opens new horizons for um, Homeric studies, and so Great. the tablet had. Um, a, so it was, it was a tablet that had linear B on it. And then there Uh was the transliteration and then the translation. And so what it was, was (laughs) the like opening lines of the Iliad, but, Uh but sort of. Sing to me a muse. (sighs) Yeah, sing, sing, that, "Muses the, the Rage of Achilles" on nah, whatever. But, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. and so, but it was in Mycenaean Greek. They like translated it up back into Mycenaean Greek. And they're like, oh, this is amazing. And I just stared at it for the longest time. And then I went to the person who posted it. So the person who made it up is now they have a name, so I can't make fun of them because I know they're a person. And it's just like I just wanted to be like an anonymous troll and be mad at just like the, the ether. But this person is a classicist and it's just fine. Um, and it's very cleverly done. It was very well done. I will say that. But I went to the Twitter to be like, why are I people don't understand laughing about it? Like, why is it funny? And I, I also don't. I under, felt like, like what? So, I think this is what the joke is. So, a impressive. I like it. It's fun. Um, And I was just Great. like, this is just like the opening. you just linear lines. Yeah, this. yeah. This is just like, is it? I'm, I'm, oh. Yeah. So I was like, well, that I was like, because at first I was like, oh, that's cool. So and are then they I saying was,
0: Homer was Mycenaean?
1: I thought that that was it, and I was just like, "That's not funny," and I was just, just like, "That's that's just wrong. incorrect." Yeah, and then I finally figured it out because okay, huh? so somebody, um, somebody was like, um, "Like, pardon me, but I don't get this joke," and the person was like, "Google Homeric question," and that should give you some context clues. And so I googled Homeric question, and it's what just like. Up? was basically like was Homer like a single author or was it was is it just a tradition that's been attributed to Uh one person in like a very post-Enlightenment like there has to be one person who's the genius behind it. That was I don't
0: think that was the joke. Because
1: I Uh, was also just like okay. And
0: um but a great opportunity to use my crickets. Yeah, yeah.
1: And then um and then someone was like, oh like I stared at this for a long time, and then I realized it's because, like, um, Homer was part of the oral tradition. And I was like, is that the joke? (laughs) That, I was like, because it was written down at some point. Like, that's, so I don't know if the joke is that, like, Mycenaean, like, Linear B was used for, like, administrative stuff and never literature or if the joke was that Homer was a guy or if the, and so I just got mad.
0: (laughs) I can see why you got mad because I also don't see a joke. I just, I just
1: see a series of things that aren't correct. Interesting
0: that someone did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Just like,
0: okay. It's like, cool. You translated it. Cool. So, but
1: all to say, and this is what like completely like steamrolled me from like this other thing, a lot of the, and this is when I had a real like, come on, Amber, you should know better moment. Um, a lot of names appear in Linear B texts that are names shared by people in Homer.
0: Yeah. Because like, those are the names that that were around. You Th- just narrated names that people had. my
1: line of thought when I was like, wow. Oh, sorry. I just had this moment of like, wow, that's so cool. And then I was like, Amber, <laughs> <laughs> you got half a degree in this. Like, <laughs> How did you... <laughs> So you know we're learning things every day. Um, so we love um, to learn. So those are some of the oldest, the oldest given names still mm-hmm. used today. But what about last names? Mm. And what's the deal with last names anyway?
0: What is the deal?
1: <laughs> so even calling it a last name reflects my anglophone bias. Can't so, avoid it. <sighs> I know because that's what I. No, am. yeah, we can I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm an yeah. anglophone. Um, Me too. So ring, it, ring. It's the anglophone. Oh no.
0: let it uh, it go to voicemail
1: (laughs) Um, um, so it might be more helpful to think of it as a family name so Mm -hmm. in many cultures and linguistic traditions as well as some settings in anglophone cultures um the family name is given first then someone's given Mm -hmm. name then the name they go by day to day
0: um so you want to know the first time i realized this (laughs) mulan Oh Wow. Because there's a, there's a line in Mulan where he says, does Fa Mulan live here? And like Fa is her family name. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, I see. You know,
1: a lot of people have realized a lot of things for the first time while watching Mulan, but this is the first time that that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, So, so, um, yeah, so. Between this sort of order of one's name and the Ugh. month day order thing, I have lost yeah. many hours of my life telling people to please submit, to please resubmit corrected
0: forms. Like I just, yep. It's really, really uh, tough. It's confusing. It's not a great system. It's not a great system. Things don't align It is. Well. A, it is
1: a shame that there are so many people that use it one way. And then I have to be yet- the one that's like, oh, no, not like that. Um, and so... Can I have that in?
0: <laughs> Inches, please. <laughs>
1: So having a given name as well as a family name is common, um, but that's not the only way to be known to others. Some traditions mm-hmm. involve middle names that do or do not have particular meaning to one's family history, uh, multiple last names, um, or their relationship to other members of their family, like a parent or spouse. Um, I had folks that I worked with who um, whose name would be... Um, first name family name epus husband's name um mm-hmm. and, and so it's just written Spouse. as um e p s e um mm-hmm. and that's 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 your name and and so that's that's who this person is in her community and the government um and so <laughs> cuz it was on her passport um right. so um but another really key way to um indic- to sort of indicate one's relationship to other members of their family is through patronymics so mm. patronymics that that means like father's name and so that's where you have um so I would be um Amber bent Joseph um so <laughs> that that could be my name if yeah or Josephson or Josephson yeah like well or Joseph's, jo- daughter. Joseph's sorry. daughter yeah yeah I'm so I mean, sorry. It's, I, yes it's It's okay. (laughs) Um, um, and so that's, um, so that is a way to, um, that's a way to establish sort of your lineage. Um, -hmm. and it can also be seen as a way to establish one's ownership of you, different ways to view it Mm -hmm. depending, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's very, it's, it's commonly, um, the father's name, um, there are there are cases where uh, matronymics are used, um, mm-hmm. where the mothers where the the name is matrilineal, um, and you'll have that you have that with given names, uh, but you also can have that with family names. And a very uh, uh, sort of well known example of this um, is the Minangkabau um, population in Indonesia. So that mm. is um, that is. To this day, a sort of traditional um, matrifocal, sort of uh, matriarchal uh, mm-hmm. society, and so that's um, and so it isn't it isn't necessarily reflective of sort of like who has more power in the dynamic, but but rather like establishing um, who you are related to, um, and so establishing who you are related to. Can be very, very important. Um, An example that I will share with you (laughs) is the Kong family uh, name. And so Kong and a couple other forms um, exist in um, China, China. Korea mm-hmm. and globally now. Um, yeah. But uh, the Kong family tree is very famous because it is published. Um, so the fifth edition uh, of the Kong family tree was dropped in 2009. So <laughs> new Kong family tree just dropped. Um, and when it dropped, it, it would it sure did. make it an impact.
0: Yeah, um, because <laughs> it
1: counts. Uh, that one counts 83 generations back to circa 550 BCE for a grand total of 2 million descendants.
0: Hefty tome. Yeah.
1: So the fourth edition had been published in 1937 um, and that one and previous ones didn't include women or minorities, so, like, mm. folks who are considered an ethnic minority who bear that surname. Um, right. So when the fifth edition was published in all its 43,000-page glory, oh my God. like, imagine, like, I wrote, as I typed that, I was, like, imagine, like, being, like, hey, you hit print because you're finally done. And then, you, and see, then yeah. you see a typo on, like, page, like, 17,000, and you're just, like... Oh, no, <laughs> well, it's just at that point,
0: you'd just be like, Look, I'm gonna, I got one. my scratch one. paper days. I got one. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, so but that those two million descendants that was triple the size of the previous iteration, cool. Um, which that's a lot of people, that's a lot of people, that's a lot, that's a lot of people, and then a lot of people who hadn't been included, um, so. Yes. Um, Why is the Kong family so interested in their family tree? Are they just big genealogy heads? Um, uh, Really into themselves. Yes, and. Um, So it all ties back to the most famous member of that family uh, Mm -hmm. Kong Fuzi or Master Kong or Confucius, if you're Anglophone. Um, So. Ring, ring. Well, this one is the the Jesuit priest's calling to Latinize his name um because Jesuit priests showed up in China and they came back and they're like, "There was this guy who, like, changed the whole game." Um so he had a lot of ideas. <laughs> yeah, so um, so Confucius, um, writing and philosophy are closely associated with traditional Chinese social norms and values. Mm-hmm. So it seemed to both um kind of reflect and shape. Uh, sort of uh so he
0: reflected. Yeah, really oh, Um and so
1: um listeners might be familiar with his hit single, The Golden Rule. Um, oh I love that one. Which is, you know, don't do to anyone else what you wouldn't want them to do to you kind of situation. Because um so that's attributed to him because it's it, like it's a banger. And um and so he was um you know, if it I'm doing him a disservice by speaking about him so briefly because of like the like profound impact that he had on, um, on politics and history and art. Um, and also, um, it's a different
0: episode, totally different
1: episode altogether. Um, but his, one of his big things was reciprocity. So that golden rule is an extension of reciprocity. Um, and so, uh, the Kong family name has been going strong for more than 2,500 years, (laughs) but not all surnames get to experience that
0: same good fortune. Yeah. Mine has only been in my family for a couple generations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's, um, and that was changed, right? There was like a deliberate action was, to change it, it or was it, was, it changed yeah. for them?
0: It was not changed okay. for them. Uh, at, at last retelling, it was that they, they purchased someone else's papers in order to leave uh, and get, get to New York. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they, okay. So that,
1: that, So that is um, also a totally different thing is sort of looking at it totally totally into like genealogy and ancestry and looking at how um, how names can the relationship between names and identity can kind of fracture or Mm -hmm. or change Um, my my family name is um, (laughs) so it's a. So, Zambelli is, um, is so Zanny is a is like a regional form of Johnny. Um, and so it was like my somewhere way back there. I had a, <laughs> a, a handsome Johnny that, um, that we kind of carried on. Also, the Zanni is a Commedia dell'arte character of being like the mm-hmm. like friendly yokel. I think also works. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say well hi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, that they're just sort of like a a uh, not classy everyman, and I'm just like like mm. uh, it fits. Like native determinism. Well hi. So okay, <laughs> so let's get back to. Um, this idea of what ha- what can happen to surnames mm-hmm. um so there's this uh, there's this thing, <laughs> this thing. Uh, there's this phenomenon of surname extinction and it is called the galton watson process and i might need anna to help me out here yeah, yeah, yeah. because this was a, a part of the script that i was just like what what's this <laughs> at <laughs> anna <laughs>
0: just assigned <laughs> it to you yeah um yeah i'm happy to talk about it um, so it was initially developed by Francis Galton. So briefly, he's, he's really concerned, concerned with like things
1: going extinct and some things he very much doesn't want to go
0: extinct, yeah.
1: like healthy white people.
0: Yeah. Well, okay. So Galton, <laughs> uh, is, is known as the father of eugenics. Um, Darwin's less cool cousin. Um, Actually. Yeah, they were, they were cousins and uh-huh. he like. He idolized Darwin, which is one of the big reasons why he got so interested in what led to eugenics. And meanwhile, Darwin's like, no, no. Wow. Yeah. So. Broadly, the Galton-Watson process applies to systems where the frequency of individuals in different categories is shifting. So this could apply to an ecosystem where there are different species and the, the relative numbers of each of those species is in flux. Um, but it can mathematically express this pathway of extinctions. So in terms of names... uh huh. The Galton-Watson process can mathematically express, if that's the kind of thing you want to do, um, the path of patrilineal surnames. Okay. So names that are handed down to the male parents line, which can end if uh, if someone is, if well, let me go back. Um, there are successive generations of offspring. And one of the um, requirements of the galton watson process is that offspring in if you're like modeling this process the offspring are assigned randomly male or female which kinda you know more or less mimics what would happen you know we're not like reptiles so you can't influence whether we're male or female by depends on who you ask <laughs> <Yeah>. um. <laughs> okay lizard people aside um <laughs> assigning offspring male female randomly is is as good a way as any to to mimic actual right uh population so frequencies so like
1: d- assigning passing name on not passing name on kind correct of thing. Yeah. Okay. so it's
0: it's a binary. it's like i mean
1: in i mean assuming is, that like it is this, a binary in that you either get the name or you don't it's get yes the or name no.
0: yeah. like that's like yep you
1: don't get part of the name and that counts as name you know like that's okay right exactly i'm okay with this yeah.
0: binary of yeah, name, and so a name. line a line can end if the offspring is female and uh, marries someone and takes that name, or if a male heir with that surname does not have offspring. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so this only applies, obviously, to cultures who use surnames. It's not universally applicable, as we so family names just established. Yes, family names, surnames doesn't yes. have to be
1: the last one.
0: I'm just gently pushing on okay the idea like our anglophone bias. family names <laughs> family names uh but for cultures that do have patrilineal family names a name dies out when there are no more males of that name who have male children right. so here's a quote from wikipedia that really actually is very tidy it sums up most of galton's thoughts as as far as about i know them no well um, okay i don't know a whole lot about galton i just know you know i've taught there's that one very salient thing about him yeah, the uh yep. Uh we can breed better people. That's not that's not the quote from Wikipedia. Here's the quote. <laughs> quote <laughs> It's from Gattaca. No. Uh quote, the formula is of limited usefulness in understanding actual family name distributions since in practice family names change for many other reasons and dying out of name it uh of name line sorry, is only one factor, so that's not that's not Galton's quote that is a quote about this theory of Galton's, which is to say like ah, okay, it's not super useful. it's a way of looking at
1: that is, generational that is things. the thing about modeling
0: um yeah I have
1: that I have, can, that I have um had to be the unlucky bearer of um.
0: It's tough because it's so much of it can be based on kind of
1: assumptions. Econ lectures where I'm just like, "Ah, but in this case, we have records from Egypt (laughs) and they say, Oh, that that lecture that that I went and I was like, Can I tell you about the past? Like that it exists.
0: (laughs) And they're like, (laughs) An economist tried to give an archaeology lecture.
1: So thank you, Anna. Yeah, sure. Uh, Family surnames in China are a well-studied examples of surnames dying out and also of the types of reasons why surnames would go extinct. This isn't always directly related to people dying out. Uh, Sometimes there are cultural taboos or prescriptions in that factor as well. Um, so there's a 1991 manuscript titled Chinese Surnames and the Genetic Differences Between North and South China. Um, the authors note that there are currently only about 3,100 surnames in use in China at time of publication uh, compared <laughs> with close to 12,000 names recorded in the past so that said china's past is very long so the past isn't super long it's because you know we're talking well you know i just gave like the how example far back? of the kong family surname right it's like 2500 yeah. years of of surnames so at least mm-hmm. to then mm-hmm. you know twelve thousand kind of being winnowed down coming and going to sure um a quarter of that um So, also... As of that 1991 tally, uh, 22% of the population shared the surnames Li, Wang, and Zhang, uh, which that numbered close to 300 million people. That's a lot of people. So the top 200 most popular names were shared by 96% of the population. So names changed or became extinct for various reasons, such as people taking the names of their rulers, uh, spelling changes for simplification, taboos against using characters from an emperor name, and so forth. Um, in fact, the most significant factor affecting the surname frequency is other ethnic groups identifying as Han, like Han Chinese, and adopting Han names. Mm-hmm. And in terms of rate of change, some new names have arisen for various reasons, but older names have been dispe- disappearing more quickly. So it, so they're losing names more quickly than new names are gaining traction. Um, mm mm-hmm and and so that's something um and, and that's something that exists in um I would wager any culture that has yeah probably m- like multiple names that you they are like there are people who um if you share the name of um a particularly like painous person, or you may change yeah. your name so that you, so that people don't know you're related to them, um, or so that or you, even if you're not related uh, you to them, so you don't have that stigma. Yeah. Exactly. Like people change names, um, in response to social pressures, um, mm-hmm. whether they be positive or negative,
0: um, yeah. or sort of like harmful or helpful kind of thing. Yeah. Do, do like, does my name put me at risk? Yeah. Or if so,
1: maybe I like this name better and this name I want to, I want, yeah. so it's sort of like changing your, um, so having other ethnic groups that may adopt a Han name, they do that at four, um, assimilation for yeah. sort of to in- increase positive things in their life, not even necessarily to limit negative things. So, you know. Um, So there are also, there are groups for whom uh, family names are still not a thing or Mm -hmm. um, have only more recently become commonplace. Um, And so um, an individual who only has one name is mononymous. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There are several words in the script that felt like walking into a dark garage where it's like, I'm going to bang into something, but I know there's a way out of this word. (laughs) It's just like, whether I go out (laughs) through the big door or out the side door. (laughs) Ping off a few syllables. (laughs) Um, So uh, one of them um, is uh, folks from Iceland. So um, I tried so hard. I, so I, I tried so hard to learn about this. The script here says, wow, Icelandic naming is very cool and simultaneously simple and complicated. Um, so the only reason why it's complicated for us, your hosts, is that we don't speak Icelandic. Sure don't. Um so there are gender-based suffixes, but also the name spelling changes depending on the context. So it's basically a noun that sometimes changes its spelling depending on how it's declined. So like yeah, where so it falls in the be, sentence.
0: Yeah. So a name would be different if you were saying like, hi, my name is. Yeah. Or if someone was saying I am with yeah. this person, like that name would sound different because the context of how you're naming them is different. Yeah.
1: Um, and that, yeah, that you get that with some names in, in Latin, right? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, It's just something uh, that, that, again, Anglophone, um, yeah. So again,
0: (laughs) you know, we're, we're sort of, uh, we are disadvantaged by.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, and so that is uh, tied in with how, um, you, you, if you meet somebody in a, uh, casual context, who is from Iceland, their name might just be, I, I could be Amber Joseph's daughter,
0: um, because mm-hmm. that's my name. Or maybe you couldn't be because there is a political body currently or like uh, a, a relatively recent, um, thing that, uh, assesses all names that are to be given to children in Iceland and vetoes ones that are not acceptable based on like kind of
1: like grammatically tra- or uh, like is it is it like a social thing
0: like a it's like you can't name your kid this like you can't name your kid
1: lunchbox or you can't name your kid like amber
0: like sort of thing oh wait thing. I found it I found it okay, I found great. it I found it okay so this was established in 1991 a bunch of things popping off with names in 1991 <laughs> apparently Um, So this is the Icelandic Naming Committee. Okay. Oh, my God. What an incredible word in Icelandic. So many N's and F's all together. Um, Also known as the Personal Names Committee, maintains an official register of approved Icelandic given names and governs the introduction of new given names into Icelandic culture. So if people are coming into Iceland... Mm -hmm. They they keep their own names and loan words from other languages are also fine. But if you are like Iceland born okay. like if you are of Icelandic descent, um you have a very limited range of you know, relative to other cultures, right? right. You have a limited range of names that are acceptable. And then the naming convention is is often something dotier. Okay. Um it's it's matrilineal. So No, sorry, I'm sorry, it's patrilineal okay. but, but but gendered. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um,
1: yeah. So there is a, um, there's a Facebook form if you wish to be mononymous on Facebook. If you are in fact, um, yeah, like, or if you want to, yeah, yeah, maybe Facebook lets people use their chosen names now. I don't know. I don't know. I share it. Um, Share uh, has a page, not a profile. <laughs> uh, so there's a Facebook form. So you can do that. So there is, there Good. are some, but this is, this is the sort of thing that really comes up a lot in, in tech and like in user experience because um, they like the whole, like the whole gender thing is just one, is just one aspect of yeah, it. That. And if it's a fillable
0: form that has that red asterisk, yeah. that's so like, you, you have to, put to give here. a
1: last name and it's like, but I don't have one. I don't have one. Uh, that does come up. Many uh, Tibetan personal names use a fairly small set of traditional names in various combinations. Um, So Mm -hmm. most Tibetans don't use family names, um, but also there are several ways to spell or transliterate Tibetan names. um, So it can get a little tangled up if you don't read Tibetan script or if you are- I do not. Writing for, like if you are- if you are communicating um with oh, with yeah. like with individuals outside of Tibetan script, it mm-hmm. can get um a little Murky, uh, just in terms of Murk. figuring figuring that out. So Tibetan naming conventions are based on spirituality rather than family lineage. So there's no predetermined first name or surname. Some people only have one name. Um, many parents chose uh, Tenzin as one of the names for their children after the Dalai Lama's name, Tenzin Gyatso. And and
0: if the, if it were a different Dalai Lama, yeah, yeah, the name would be different. It's not just yeah, always Tenzin,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and so surnames were only introduced in Turkey, um, after world war one, when the Ottoman empire became Turkey, um, under Ataturk, um, who had, so, um, he had big dreams, Ataturk a had, a, guy lo- with big ha- had dreams. a lot going on. Um, yeah. this was part of his, uh, Westernization programs, um, nice. which, um, don't love that, but, um, mm-hmm. Put a pin in Autoturk, Ouch. Yep. Because uh, <laughs> he's going to come back up when I, uh, when I make a point.
0: <laughs> Great. Right. So the name is Kushim. And the article you sent me to research this, Amber, immediately cited uh, Yuval Noah Hariri's sapiens. It was
1: a starting point.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so good website. Bad book. I was just saying uh, you the Wikipedia book. entry. <laughs> I know. I, I did my own research. I I, I looked. Uh, so the name Kashim is found on several Uruk period clay tablets. So that's around 3400 to 3000 BCE. Old. <laughs> 5,000 years-ish. Um, and it was used... Oh, they love receipts. The clay tablets were used to record transactions of barley. They kept those receipts because... They weren't recyclable. I'm, well, I guess they were. I no, I, no. If it burn
1: if it catches on fire, then it stays. That's how Forever. you keep it. Um, yep. That's how it gets kept, rather. Uh,
0: but, yeah. But the thing we don't know. But
1: writing was, but writing was used, was developed
0: to mm-hmm. was for like economic purposes. Yeah. For for record keeping. Yeah. yeah. I I just I love that that is the case. Yeah. So what we don't know is if this was a given name. Uh an individual's name a title so maybe kashim was like barley guy um or or some kind of institution like the barley depot right but what the what the text does say uh in one instance is 29,086 measures barley 37 months kashim so probably over the course of 37 months kashim uh provided that much of barley and that's that's a 5000 year old bit of accounting Yeah.
1: And so, if you went to the internet and the internet suggested to you that Kushim is the oldest name that's still used today, um you may see that that name Kushim uh Kushim shows up in um in Russia, in Uzbekistan oh, and uh-huh. in Kazakhstan. So I don't uh-huh. um I don't know if that is a a Slavic name or a Turkic name mm. um, but let's take a moment and think about this critically so oh, um, I love critical yeah, thinking so if this is if this was written in the Uruk period circa 3400 to 3000 BCE it was written in Sumerian like it, Sumerian would have been the lingua franca at this point so let's guess it was a Sumerian name um, um Fiddle loves critical thinking. Uh, She
0: loves critical thinking. She also loves playing catch with
1: herself. (laughs) I have a dog now.
0: Surprise. Um, Surprise.
1: So so that's a Sumerian name. Sumerian is an extinct language. We don't have any... We don't know of any um, related languages to Sumerian because they probably were spoken but not written down. Um, And so... If we were to say this name has been, is still in use after 5,000 years, uh, we are implying that people kept naming their children this.
0: So how did, um, Anna, I need you to focus up. I'm listening. I'm just future editor. Me, uh, is regretting buying this dog, a crinkle toy and keeping it in the office. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so well, we're, we're suggesting that this name has been given by successive gener- generations yeah. from southern Mesopotamia, that there is a persistence of Sumerian culture for 5,000 ah. years and ending up on the steppes. And that comes back to Ataturk because um, oh. Ataturk was a fan of this crackpot theory uh, about yes, how I remember this. Turkish was the original language. Like the the first language, and that Sumerian is a Turkic language. Mm-hmm. Um and that and so this was part of Turk saying like, oh, we don't need to get rid of loan words because they were trying to like Turkify. Um and so uh-huh. they're trying to get rid of, of loan words from Arabic, from Persian, from elsewhere, and because they were trying to get back to this sort of turkish nation um and so he was able to say well all language is at its heart turkish so so we can use we can use any word we want and Mm. so this theory is still like still it's still like being caped for by um turkish ultranationalists who Yikes. and i've, I've uh, found them on the internet they're in the they're on the oh, internet no. they're in your I'm, youtube what? comments <laughs> like they're out there um, but this idea that um they are the cradle of civilization and mm-hmm. and that um that is the only place that i could that's the only place that my mind goes is that this is tied up with um, the sun language uh, because yeah. it was developed as a way to like venerate the sun and worship the sun and that sort of, it's so this like very pseudo-historical kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. it was a theory that was put forward and then Ataturk was like, mm, love that, and made it like a mandatory curriculum. And so mm-hmm. it fell off after um the big proponent of it died. And everyone, I guess, was like, Oh, thank God we can stop teaching that. But <laughs> that
0: <It's> collective, like
1: <sighs> that pseudo historical, pseudo-linguistical theory still, um, still persists. So this mm-hmm. is why Kushem. Like and mm. thinking about a name like Kushem still being around, like that is an opportunity for us to take a step back and say, "What does this say? Like, what are we saying here?" Uh, whereas with Priya and Freya, we have there there are linguistic models that work uh, that we can sort of trace back to this. Um, Some proto last common name proto Indo-European, like when we have like little glimpses of PIE, and so they are, um, and and so you can by 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 looking at proto Indo-European, you can predict what a word may be in a language. That's not yet been deciphered from its script. And then when it matches up, that's a great moment of like, ah, it's working kind of thing. And so this is one where it doesn't work. So this is why, <laughs> dear listeners, that's why I, I take take issue with that. I was just sort of like, that's not... For sure. Um, because not only it's not just a silly thing, it's something that ends up being taken up by people with considerable ill will towards others yeah. so that's my Kushim
0: fact great that's a good fact what are some other old names uh there is there's a, a group of names um from a tablet heading dated to around 3100 bce which uh, shortly after kushim like a couple generations not too far removed uh, and the tablet's heading is two slaves held by gal sal So Galsal is named as the owner and then the slaves are sort of named. Um, We've got NPAP X. So that is something like um, added by whoever was trying to translate this. Uh, It designates, and the X is not like Malcolm X. It designates an unknown word or syllable. Uh, And then the other enslaved person is Sukhalgir. Um, Don't know much about them, just that they had names. And we don't know much about
1: gal sal either no because we didn't His need guy. to know that
0: we just needed to know the receipts yep that was the transaction um mm, let's scooch over to egypt real quick um the oldest ancient egyptian name that we know about is uh transliterated as eerie Horror. um it is depicted as falcon over mouth there was a lot of debate for a while uh because only one or two kind of named artifacts had been found with, with this inscription on them um, at Abydos. But now we know, thanks to excavations at Abydos in 2012, the uh, which found a tomb of apparently royal proportions, like sure, uh, with a bunch of items inscribed with that name. So we now it is generally accepted by people who care about this. Uh, that he was a pre-dynastic pharaoh of Upper Egypt during the 32nd century BCE, so 5,200-ish years ago. Um, yeah, so, you know, a lot of people really care. Like, is he a pharaoh? Is he not? People... People care so people hard. People
1: really care about, about, like, proper names. But clearly a person and like,
0: who's who's wh- it was important enough to somebody, even be somebody recorded. Somebody who warranted
1: yeah. being named. But also, mm-hmm. like, I like to think that
0: maybe he wasn't he was just some guy with a really nice tune though. Yeah. is the thing. No, I so. but
1: I think it's but I I you know, normalize guys being named and not kings. <laughs> Fellas. <laughs> no. no, <laughs> stuff there. So, okay, it's time to venture into the deep past and speculate about some things. Did you just Did go. you feel your your foot slip a little bit on the on the, the shelf of the pool who um no but i felt some sphincters clench <laughs> so how far back does naming go um mm-hmm. you know we sort of alluded to this when we talked about how we can only go back so far when we look at sort of western centered forms of knowledge mm-hmm. um but how did early humans so like including not even yet homo sapiens humans, um, mm-hmm. get one another's attention. How did they, hey. how could you like, <laughs> if there was a guy who like came by the stream every few days and he was just the
0: worst, how did you tell people about that? Or like even someone like who heads their back to you without right. just like, and they're far away, without like throwing a rock at them or well, just no, going,
1: like, getting, well, I mean, you could be like, hey, and like, they'll turn around yeah but but, it, but i'm talking yeah. about like talking about people when they aren't there um how could you <laughs> which is what we like to do <laughs> <laughs> yes um so <laughs> did homo heidelbergensis have okay did they call each other names as you may guess listener uh there's really no way to know uh, because again we've not found any fossilized hello my name is stickers um But there are other ways to address this question, like looking at the earliest examples of self-expression through ornamentation. So consider this. If you think of yourself as an individual, so you think of yourself as being a discrete unit of identity that can be separated from your wider community, um, and you want other people to, to see that, to sort of also see that you are an individual perceive me. What do you do to set yourself <laughs> apart from everyone else in your social group to be uh-huh. perceivable? Um, uh-huh. so if you were an identifiable also, yes. Um, yeah. So if you were a person living 40,000 ish years ago at a site in what is today Turkey or at another, a different site in modern day Lebanon, you might have accessorized with shell beads. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're talking about two sites here. One is Uchazlı Cave in Turkey, and the other mm-hmm. is Qasar in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so quote uh, from Ornaments of the uh, Earliest Upper Paleolithic, New Insights from the Levant, uh, yeah. 2001. Today, the practice of decorating oneself with pigment or objects is universal among human cultures, such as that most of us take personal ornaments for granted. Nonetheless, the appearance of ornaments such as beads and pendants during the Paleolithic marks an important Rubicon in the evolution of human behavior. These objects are among the first documentable forms of information technology, the earliest unambiguous use of material objects as media for communication. Cool, huh? Yeah, very cool. So, radiocarbon dates indicate ages between 39,000 and 41,000 radiocarbon years, roughly 41,000 to 43,000 calendar years for the Yeah, o- calibrating. <laughs> for the oldest ornament bearing levels in Uchazlo Cave. Based on stratigraphic evidence, the earliest shell beads from Kassar Akil may be even older. These artifacts provide some of the earliest evidence for traditions of personal adornment manufactured by Upper Paleolithic humans in Western Asia, comparable in age to similar objects from Eastern Europe and Africa. The new data shows that the initial appearance of Upper Paleolithic ornament technologies was essentially simultaneous on three continents." End
0: quote new data from 2001. Yeah.
1: Say. So yeah. so there is new data from since 2001 mm-hmm. including sure is. um Bacho Kiro cave which is uh dated to the initial upper paleolithic. Um yeah. so that's that's circa 43,000 uh years ago and maybe as old as 45,000. So there's um so this is something that Anna discussed uh in their house with Doctor Bonesaw. Uh, <laughs> um, so when um, uh, yeah. when Naomi was on the show and talked about her work with tooth pendants, um, there's some mm. beads uh, which may have been worn or possibly affixed to garments. Um, so those those are things that speak to um, individualized <laughs> expressions. Um, yeah. So does that give us the names of people who wore those those ornaments? No, but it does not. give us a sense that people considered themselves as themselves, like they considered themselves as that sort of discrete, discrete unit of... was per- it like Borg
0: hive mind. Well, was like well the, no, like, uh, thing, uh, because you know, this, is, this is
1: something that, um, and there's a reason, yeah, there's a reason why it comes up in like Borg hive mind and, and sort of in science fiction and speculative fiction, because... The individual is a social construct. So the idea Mm -hmm. of the individual and sort of what... Um, you and I talking to each other have as our understanding of the individual that comes from the Enlightenment. That comes from ideas put, put forward by um, Adam Smith and Jeremy Bentham, like folks that were sort of working, uh,
0: Jeremy Bentham, folks that were sort of
1: working, beautiful weirdo, yeah, working towards this idea of individualism and the individual. Mm-hmm. And so that's why Enlightenment and then
0: Jung later had a lot of
1: well. But but Thought just sort of it. like the roots of the individual. So yeah. the idea of like who I am and how that is different than than um my relationship. So like my my ties and my kinship um are less important than me, um, and like who I am and who
0: I represent myself as in the world. Like this like the hierarchy of, of self designation.
1: And what it's not even, I don't think about it in terms of hierarchy so much as like distance. So sort of like how, like distance of oneself from the group. Um, okay. and so these ideas of, and this is also an extremely American idea. So our listeners outside the U.S., um, might, but we are, If you've made it to the point where you're listening to a podcast recorded by two uh, monolingual Americans, Uh you have been touched by ideas of like hyper individualism and the individual. And so we aren't we can't look for we can't look for people signing their own name to things in antiquity. We can't look for that because it doesn't. We don't know if that's how they... Well, I mean, we do know that that's not how they did things yeah. in a lot of in a lot of ideas, but there's always been, I've always noticed this sort of drive to find the individual artist and not... Yeah. Who made this? Like, and it's sort of like, I don't care because this person was like thinking about artists as kind of you aren't looking for the wheel on which a pot was thrown and sort of like <laughs> that sort of people nice. are a conduit. This is you know, clearly read some Confucius of like that. He saw himself as a conduit of, he's like, I don't have original ideas. I am just transmitting these ideas and sort of sitting with them. Um, and so thinking about people as just, um, part of humanness, part of Uh community. Um, and that, so it's, it's, that doesn't mean that people don't have their own thoughts or things or their own sense (laughs) of self, but sort of thinking about how you frame it, how you, how you put it forward in the world and how it's received. Like these are all Socially constructed. Um, something else that can be socially constructed <laughs> is when we give a name to someone who isn't there to be like, "Excuse me, that's not my name," um, because they're, hey. they're extremely dead. Um, yeah. Oh, ex- yes. And so um, I asked Anna to help me think of some names of uh, of, of, of 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 people whose remains are known to. Archaeological study, or to museums, Um, and um, and and sometimes that's helpful for some people. Like in some ways, I should say, Uh, because it's not like a some cases versus other cases. In some ways, it is helpful if your goal is to. Get people to recognize that the past had humans in it who had like interiority and like identities,
0: which which, we're interested in, which we're very
1: interested in. And also, which is a struggle for many people. And, Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that that is a negative attribute. It is a natural attribute that we, we want connection and that in the absence of of a connection, it's hard to feel that same sense of empathy. Um, but also you're you're naming somebody something that um they didn't erases choose. um yeah. erases their own identity, whatever it was uh, so even if we didn't know it, we're assigning them one or it can be um pretty gross um and pretty harmful yeah. to um Exit to descendant communities or existing communities who aren't descendant communities. I'm thinking about Ramapithecus. Like, that's not even an individual name. Just, like, having names that are name. yeah. taken from, like, like, Vedic tradition. And so you're mm-hmm. you're sort of taking someone's, um, like, religious it's identity w- and cultural expression and then being like, yeah. he was it's something this. pre-human. And it's like, well, that sucks that's
0: yikesy yeah. Yeah.
1: so anna who 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 are some
0: of these people tell me about them well i can't tell you their names but i can tell you <laughs> the names that were thrust upon them um well we got Itzy. this is in by the way no particular order definitely not chronological <laughs> the order in which i thought of them <laughs> is is what it is um so itsy is name for the place he was found the the utzel alps um we got java man Peking man those are some early hominins who again named for where they were found and the their perceived sex
1: mm, um that's
0: good point i yeah, mean it's well, like a pretty
1: yeah. like entry-level point but like not that i didn't mean that as like a slam to you <laughs> but like that came, <laughs> really rude sorry but just sort of like <laughs> that's a great point because i was here talking about like oh your names and your identity and stuff but like down to like
0: Perceived, yeah. uh, you know, like, ah, you have thick cranial like Ascribing bones. masculinity
1: to man. them, ascribing like sure. all of those
0: things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, and especially yikesy one is the Kennewick man, which that's not what the descendant communities call that individual. Uh, it's the, referred to as the ancient one, yeah. but that was uh, remains of a person who was found in what is today Washington State. And, um, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. And
1: it, in fact, it was. Um, there was an episode and of indeed. Deep
0: Cuts we did about that. But yeah, that's... Yeah. Um, you skipped one, which Oh, sorry. I think is... Uh, that, yes. Uh, hobbits. Yeah. The Homo floresiensis uh, being referred to as hobbits um, is also kind of yikesy yeah um, um but it's 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 also sort I mean, of
1: it's it's like it's both it's fun it's both cringe and yeah.
0: also
1: uh because like thinking about the same way that like java man and like Peking man um have it diminishes have them. um a masculinity attributed to them mm-hmm. um oh, the yeah, hobbits, hobbits have like... this sort of this sort of infantilizing yeah because uh, they're like
0: oh they're cute and it's just little. like like they, oh, they're just
1: small. But like just they small had people, like, they hunted and stuff.
0: Yeah, um, possibly equally gross. Uh, Mungo Man and Woman, uh, two burials found around uh, what is today called Lake Mungo in Australia. Um, the, some of the earliest people to be found in Australia, showing that people had access to marine technology, yeah. marine travel technology, like sixty thousand years ago. Yeah, which is great. Yeah,
1: and it, yeah. So it
0: just kind of Mrs. Plez is who's she. One of those I gave you a link to click so you could see what this looks like. Um, again, ascribing sex to an individual, but this well, is a fossil. I like matrimony, yeah. Is there a Mister Plus? <laughs> You'll have to ask Missus. Um, you know, that's the thing. Like, I understand that it's like a fond nickname. Like, it's not great, but it was. It was given. You know. It was given Quite as pleas? sort of like a, a pet name. Huh? Ah, uh, derives from the scientific name plesianthropus
1: Transvalensis. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> near
0: man from the Transvaal. Yep. Got it in one. <laughs> um, we've got Cro-Magnon. Cro-Magnon it was named after the place that the first uh, anatomically modern European human. Oh, Fiddlesticks. And that one's got some... That one's got some legs. Cormagnon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it means Magnon's hole. Like, that's... It was in a dialect of, of French. Um, yeah, the cave where... Or the rock shelter where the bones were found. Um, and then there's also Denny, who was... Um, not much of her was found, but the the pinky bone, from which uh, it was determined that this individual was a hybrid Neanderthal Denisovan, um, found in Denisification. Which, I like, believe. when
1: you have a fragment of one of her bones, it's sort of. <laughs> and which, you... which, but No, but it's sort of like this is. I think this is a great like segue into the the one that we're ending with. But just thinking mm-hmm. about like. It is easier to look at a cranium and say there was a person in it than it is <laughs> to look at a fragment of bone and say there was a, a person. Bone, yeah. This was in a person. And sort of thinking about humanizing yeah. um yeah, very the, much.
0: the the ancient like the deep, deeply ancient past at this point. Yeah, it moves us away from thinking about specimens yeah. and and gets us towards thinking about people which you know
1: we're not um as a discipline a really good at even we not if good at those it, remains no. uh became such in like the 80s 50
0: years ago yeah oh okay the 80s oh yep and, yep. and so those thinking ones... about
1: um
0: the... yeah like moving from specimen to person the remains of a juvenile australopithecus afarensis found at Tekika. And, um, is a child. It was, it was previously known as the Dikika child, which is a little warmer than like specimen 32 B whatever, you know, but, um, since then it has the, the, it's mostly just a cranium. I think it's, it's a skull, a fossilized skull and it's name, it's been given the name Salam. Uh, I mean, I, I only have a couple of sort of short thoughts about this, which is just it like on peace. and Okay. It means peace. Great. Great, 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 great. I love it. I, I find myself very ambivalent about this because uh, depending on the circumstances, it can be deeply dehumanizing to give something a name and sort of erase that identity. But if things are so far back in the past that our sense of identity is is really disconnected, then giving giving a name to a specimen sort of moves us away from that and and reminds us that these were individuals who experienced life feelings you know yeah uh, they they experienced lives they had thoughts they had communities they, were known they had to others families they were known to others salam was someone's child mm-hmm. i'm ending this on a very wishy-washy note because i i genuinely think that it is a very circumstantially good or bad, well, positive or negative part of how we identify people in the past.
1: And, and I think that this is a great, a great place to sort of end on, um, because like thinking about, you know, we've discussed a little bit about why names matter to us and what that power of like power that names have um, Mm -hmm. in our ability to think about the past, to engage with the past, to tie ourselves to the past. Um, But also this, looking at this and thinking about this, especially this last, this last section, gave me an opportunity to sort of um, take a step back and think, why does a name change how i feel about something how i f- mm. and so sort of thinking about how can we um how can we approach something unknown to us someone unknown to us in a way that extends humanity to them without having it demonstrated to us like i shouldn't yeah. i shouldn't need to you know i i i don't feel good about the fact that looking at looking at a cranium and having it be like, you know, STS three or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. does nothing for me. But if I look at it, I mean, it doesn't do for me what looking at it and having salam uh, attached to it does for me. And so just thinking about how can we look at, um, not even looking at at human remains, like extending beyond, like that should be the absolute minimum that you see human (laughs) remains as human and having humanity that should Mm be respected and extended dignity.
0: Even even not homo sapiens.
1: Exactly. And so um, like we got to start there, but even moving beyond (laughs) that, how, what, what, how can we look to things in the material record as expressions of humanity? Like, Moving beyond that, I mean, we've all moved beyond sort of—not all of us—beyond that sort of very processual idea of we're looking at signatures of human behavior over time. This is data. Yeah, Yeah. looking at data points. Like, what if, what if we looked (laughs) at this as um, just evidence of humanity? Evidence, like signatures of lives, and Mm -hmm. and sort of. Names are a great way for us to build uh, familiarity or build comfort or just sort of make the past feel more ex- accessible. I think this is why people mm-hmm. like, were like, who is Eerie Whore? We got to know. And it's just like... What's up with this guy? It's like, well... Like, well- what if he was just a guy? And like, what, what does is that guy? tell us? And the fact, and the, and so it's just something to what think if he about. He liked
0: long walks on the uh, along the Nile, and um, you know, he made a made a really good bread.
1: Yeah, maybe he was a bread guy. Maybe he had hobbies. Yeah, and so know. just thinking about um, the name a name and what someone is named should not be where we start thinking of them as a person. Um, And so uh, that's That's where I I leave you today. And uh, coming up soon for uh, patrons or... Ghost subscribers, will come up with something better. Um, I'm going to be diving into prosopographical networks. So looking into- oh my like goodness. What names, when we have lots of names um, and we do we do sociological science to them and um, data science to them- <laughs> A science is performed. When we, when we perform a science, you can find out really incredibly detailed, nuanced things about a society. Mm-hmm. So- Movements of people. Look for movements of people and also not movements of people. Um, Correct. And, and yes. so um, I hope this was fun. I had Good. fun. Glad to hear it. Fiddle had a great time. My fiddle. Yeah. Well. Uh,
0: puzzle tough Please.
1: to the Goldfishes household.
0: Thank you. She's a beautiful, hairy baby. She's, um, nibbling on her very wet stuffed animal uh, right now. All right. It's well so, she yeah. oh ah, dogs. Uh thanks everybody for listening. And we love you guys. Glad very much. to be back. We're back. I'm of. back. I mean, You're yeah, back. G- Succession's yeah. back.
1: Everything's back. It's great. Things are I don't great. I care about that. All right. All right. Everybody, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Uh check us out on social media.
0: Thanks. Bye. Bye.